Hey everybody, Zach here. People often ask me where I go to learn about what's new and next in enrollment marketing. And I tell them that most of my learning actually comes from following thought leaders on social media and then trying to convince them to come on a podcast and share their insights with me. And that's actually exactly how I met my now friend, Matt Diddlegen, who is the co-founder and CEO of Glacier. Glacier is the leader in high school advertising for higher education. Matt has been on the podcast a few times now. Some of you have probably listened to one or more of his episodes. And every time I interview him, I'm just amazed by what he and his team are up to. So I finally convinced Matt to become an official Enrollify partner, which means I get to tell you all about why I love Glacier. Glacier offers the largest high school advertising network in North America. This unique platform allows higher education marketers the opportunity to place massive billboard-style ads directly inside feeder high schools, leverage influential students as brand ambassadors, and layer in a robust digital advertising component. They are actively writing the book on how to use micro-influencers in enrollment marketing and how to generate ROI from social networks like Snapchat and TikTok. Anytime I want to know what works and what doesn't when it comes to digital advertising to high school students, I call the Glacier team. If you are ready to take your high school recruitment to the next level or want to learn more about how Glacier can help you, you can visit their website at weareglacier.org forward slash enrollify to check out their free resources or to schedule a chat with one of their team members. Again, that's weareglacier.org forward slash enrollify. And be sure to tell them that Zach from Enrollify sent you. All right, guys, thank you and enjoy this week's episode. Gen Z culture moves incredibly fast and it's only increasing in the rate of its acceleration. Higher education moves comparably slow and therefore there's often a disconnect between higher ed and prospective students. Everyone in higher ed wants to know what strategies and tactics work best to recruit this next generation of students. And just when folks think they've got it, preferences seem to change. Welcome to Signals, a special series on the trends, indicators, and Gen Z behaviors shaping the future of higher ed digital advertising. Brought to you by Glacier and Enrollify. I'm Zach, founder of Enrollify. And I'm Matt Diddlejan, co-founder and CEO of Glacier a digital advertising agency specializing in youth marketing and higher education. You can subscribe to this series and access other podcasts, e-courses, videos, and more at enrollify.org. And if you want to learn a little bit more about Glacier, head on over to weareglacier.org forward slash enrollify and download one of their epic white papers. All right, without further ado, welcome to the show. Hey everybody, Zach here. So this episode of Signals is actually broken up into two parts. So in part one, Matt and I unpacked the latest data around how students are using Snapchat to find, to engage with, and to share content, and also how higher ed marketers and admissions professionals are using the platform to acquire new inquiries. And in part two, we feature a conversation that I had with Callie Goodwin, who is a higher ed social media strategist that currently serves as the digital marketing manager at Columbia International University. And Callie and I chat about how to create great, compelling and original content on Snapchat. So this is going to be fun, a little bit of a different format here, but you're going to love it. All right, enjoy the show. All right, Matt, we are here to talk about all things Snapchat. How are you doing this morning? 
I am fantastic. I'm fantastic. Have it's you had a great week. Excited to be here. Talk about Snapchat, one of my favorite platforms. So excited to be here. Have you sent any snaps today yet, Matt? I haven't. I sent one yesterday, ah, but not okay. today. Okay. Not yeah, I think today. I'm going on like day three, um, having not sent a snap, but I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just getting a little old. Um, uh, maybe that's a sign of the times. But Snapchat is a platform that most schools have at least some presence on and or are aware that they should have a presence on Snapchat. But st- it's still one of those platforms that doesn't get like enough airtime when we're talking about marketing to prospective students. And so I want to talk today about, I know that you guys have done a fair amount of work with your clients on helping them run Snapchat campaigns. I know that you guys have recently done uh, several surveys to sort of assess where people are spending on Snapchat, how they're spending on Snapchat, and the kind of ROI they're seeing from that spend. So I want to dive into all of that. But could you just start by giving us like a, a high level overview of what is sort of like the current state of higher ed advertising on Snapchat? Like who's on it? What are people doing? Like if you are on Snapchat and you're running a campaign on it, what is it? What does it probably look like at this juncture? Sure. This is perhaps where we see the largest disconnect between Gen Z and youth and higher education is, is on Snapchat and TikTok in particular, these two platforms, but we'll, we'll talk about Snapchat. So from our survey that we did, where we surveyed over 1400 high school students, asking them about different media usage, ad recall, social media usage, all of those kinds of questions, we found that 86% of high school students are using Snapchat on a daily basis. Now, this is the third year we've conducted this survey, and that number has remained completely static for three years, hmm. which is unique. I mean, last year, to give you an idea, last year, Instagram, the daily usage was at 96%, and this year, it's at 87 So it had a pretty precipitous drop. That's that's significant when it's on the scale that it, that it is, and yet... Snapchat has remained completely static. Now, the other interesting stat that we do is we survey we surveyed 187 higher ed marketers and asked them where they're spending all their ad budgets. And from that, we found that only nine and a half percent are in fact spending any ad budget whatsoever on Jeez. Snapchat, which is which is insane, right? Yeah. And the other crazier stats are that 77 percent of higher ed are spending their ads on Facebook wherein we know only 35% of high school students are even using Facebook anymore. Discord has more users than Facebook now. So it's just crazy seeing this disconnect between where higher ed is spending their media dollars and then where high school students are. And it's even even less on TikTok. So now TikTok is the most used daily social media app out of all of them amongst high school students with 96% of high schoolers using TikTok daily, but only... 1.8% 1.8% of higher ed is actually advertising on TikTok. So what we're seeing is that Gen Z culture is moving so quickly towards these new platforms, whether it's TikTok, Snapchat, et cetera, and higher ed is just really slow to adopt. I mean, higher ed is notoriously slow to adopt these new kinds of methods and technologies and et cetera, but this is really quite profound in how disconnected the ad spend versus where high school students are. 
You know, it's like, it's like all universities and colleges are standing shouting at the top of one mountain and then all the other high school students are in a completely different Valley. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's, uh, it's pretty shocking. So I love that analogy. Um, thanks for painting that for us. What, what do you think is going on here? Like, is it, is it mostly, is it, is it the fact that higher ed marketers are maybe they skew a little bit older at this particular juncture. And so they just don't know how to use these platforms. Well, they're not active users themselves. And therefore, they don't think other people are is it is it sort of like a a skills gap in that we don't really have enough people that understand Snapchat and how to make really good creative for snap ads, that that's why things aren't, you know, uh, happening here. Or like, to me, this seems like a, a revolutionary, like wake up call that excuse me, like, if you are not on this, in, you know, playing in playing this particular ball game, like, stop playing every other game and start, you know, playing on on this field. And yet, what do you guys think is is the friction here? Like, why? Why isn't there greater adoption rate of ad spend on these platforms? If in fact, like this data, which you're you're suggesting um to be true which uh uh which is that you know folks are in gen z they are spending so much time on these platforms so what like what do you think is going on here like what's the disconnect i'd say there's probably two factors the first being there is just a lot of uncertainty and the feeling that we don't get these platforms. We don't know even how to get started. And therefore the institution is just not even taking the first step to get started on some of these new platforms because they just don't even know where to start. Hmm. So I think, I think there's a lot of that happening and they don't want to make a misstep and they just really don't even know where to begin. So I think, I think there's that element. I think then there's also the element of they're having a hard time getting senior leadership on board with it senior leadership just thinks that they don't even have, they shouldn't even be on these platforms. They think TikTok is about silly dances and they don't think it's anywhere for an institution to play. So I think that that is also a challenge is getting senior leadership on board with getting on some of these new platforms because marketing is, it really it really goes up the chain in terms of impacting the university or college, right? And so yeah. the president or whoever it might be, they really do want to say over how their brand is perceived and put out into the marketplace. So I think there is a lot of challenge getting some of these, like, I can't even tell you the number of universities or colleges I've heard that have told me that they buy billboards around their campus simply so their board of governors sees these ads and thinks that their marketing spend is effective. You know, I, I can't even tell you the amount of times I've heard that it's, it's shocking. And so you know, so you, I always try to put myself in the in the shoes of those people, which are, you know, a lot of times really older board members that are 65, 70 plus, they're academics, and they just don't get TikTok. They don't think that it's it has any place for their university brand to be. So I think there's some challenge there in getting those senior leaders that are a lot more, um, you know, older yeah. to get on board with some of these new platforms. So I'd, I'd say... Those are, or, or there also is the resource constraints. I think that would probably be a third one as well. And I've heard this before too. If we say yes to TikTok, what are we going to say no to? Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of the time they're, if it's a smaller school, especially they might be one person overseeing multiple social media accounts and they're already, you know, scrambling with their hair on fire, trying to figure out what they're doing to learn another platform like, like Snapchat or TikTok is just exhausting. So where are they going to take the resources from? I'd say that those 
by and large are probably the three factors we overhear the most. Yeah. And I wonder too, on that third one, if uh, a big challenge in uh, the resource lane is also just the, the time and energy it takes to create the creative for the ad, right? Like it's so easy to boost a Facebook post or it's so easy to launch a Facebook ad. Uh, and you're, you, you know, the targeting abilities are, are phenomenal, although they are sort of like shrinking, right, a little bit here and there. But like you can still, it, the average person after watching a couple tutorial videos can understand sort of how to launch a Facebook campaign, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I think that when it comes to some of these other platforms like Snap in particular, Snap is just like, it's harder, right? The creative, the creative is different. You can't just upload like an iStock photo, right? And uh, throw a little bit of headline text and a CTA and expect it to work. Like it might work on Facebook. And so I'm curious from your, uh, the clients that you all work with and just your perspective and insight, like how are folks creating good creative uh, for Snapchat? Like how are, how are folks, I guess, tackling this challenge of, hey, the format is different, right? It's primarily video based, how are folks sort of uh, overcoming the challenges with respect to sourcing and, uh, you know, developing something that's, you know, not just interesting and, and, you know, dynamic, but is also, you know, conversion centric, it, the goal being to get people to take a particular action. How are how are the folks that you talk to wrestling with, uh, with these challenges? Sure. And I, I'd first start by saying, if there are people listening that fall into that third camp, where they just don't have the resources and they're saying, you know, if I do snap ads, what other platform am I going to start, you know, falling off on or, or putting less resources into, I would just point to the data and just say, there is an exodus of people away from Facebook for sure. But even Instagram, you know, yeah. we've seen a market drop from Instagram year over year and they're going to TikTok. you know? So I think using those stats and that data and showing senior leadership, Hey, we have to really, we don't have to make a max exodus off these platforms, but we have to start testing or else you're going to be left. You know, if you're, if you're still here a year later and you haven't started figuring out Snapchat or, or TikTok, you're going to be super behind. Like, like now you're still behind already, but if you're a year down the road and you still haven't figured out TikTok or Snapchat or at least started trying, you're going to be in trouble. But the good news is, and, and it answers your other question is, it doesn't have to be super complicated, okay? You don't have to go out and hire a coordinator and a team of students to really make a play on, on Snapchat or, or TikTok either, but Snap in particular. I mean, and this is one of the hacks which we tell our clients all the time, is you can take a static ad and there's this thing called a Snap Publisher and Snapchat makes it really, really easy just to take any kind of ad and it'll just take a static ad add some animation to it mm. and then boom, you've got a pretty good vertical video piece of content that we've seen clients get tremendous success with. Like the click-through rates are way higher than you'd expect. And that's also the other beautiful thing about these platforms like Snapchat is the CPM is actually a lot lower than, mm. than Instagram. So it's it's actually less expensive. Mm. And, and talking a little bit about the lead gen as well, we've seen tremendous success on the Snapchat platform with lead gen, tremendous. Quick, uh, and a quick, quick clarifying question on that, Matt, like what yeah. are, what are folks promoting on Snapchat? Cause I, I remember like when we were first, I, I remember doing an interview, I guess it was, it must've been two years ago now with, um, mm. 
with somebody who was just getting started with Snapchat at their institution. And one of the things that they were really sort of like pressing uh, uh, into was this idea that like, look, the expectation for Snapchat and some of these newer platforms uh, is that the, the, they're not lead gen tools, they're brand awareness tools. And she was making this like really like uh, um, clear point that if, if you're going to hold Snapchat accountable to lead gen metrics, right, that it's the wrong way to think about playing in, in this pool. Now, again, that was two years ago, and a lot has changed since then. So what are the sort of offers that your clients uh, are putting out on Snapchat in order to capture new names of prospective students? Yeah, so it's really, it's really using Snapchat in the bottom of the funnel, any kind of any kind of conversion campaigns that clients are already running, you can, you can slide Snapchat right in there. So if you're, if you're doing a campaign to get students to sign up for a digital open house or some kind of a digital campus experience, talking to a recruiter, that's a great time to start using Snap ads. If you're trying to get students that, you know, are in the bottom of the funnel and you know, it's time to apply, then you can start using Snap ads and show them content of the specific program that you know that they're interested in and give them a really compelling call to action to get them to swipe up on the ad. Any So Snap can really slot into that kind of stuff really well. And I mean, there's a great case study right on the Snapchat website for uh, Lewis University. It's a European university, but you can go on there and their ad is nothing special. Hmm. It's honestly just, you know, an animated ad. It's nothing great. And the, the conversions and the stats are incredible, you know? They got 43% more leads than other channels combined, 63% of the leads they're converted to applications. And we've seen similar stats on, on our Snapchat campaigns. Like I, I was looking at some of our top performing Snapchat content prior to this and the click-through rates for one of our client campaigns was over 3%. Wow. You know, like that's, that's incredible. And that's not all of our campaigns. I don't want, you know, people to start knocking down our doors saying we want that 3% click-through because <laughs> it's not all, that's not the case that this one has in particular done really well, but you know, in that one to 3% click-through rate range is very common that we see. And the creative is nothing mind blowing. And if you just do those static ads converted into the animated ads using the Snap Publisher, you can even pay a thousand dollars to an agency to actually produce these ads that they're not expensive and you can still get pretty great results. Yeah. 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 That's, you know, that that's a super helpful Hack and I, yeah, would encourage folks to go um, uh, check that case study out. We'll go ahead and link it in the show notes so it's easy for people to go and and you know make their way right over there. Quick kind of follow up question on that, uh, Matt is, I wonder if you and I have talked about sort of the difference between like platforms that are primarily focused on consumption versus like you know communication, right? Like and how you know depending on the social platform that you use, you're going there to just either consume a lot of content or you're going to you know communicate with somebody. And I wonder if one of the reasons why folks are seeing such great lead gen from Snapchat right now is because it is a little bit more of a communication uh, channel, right? Folks go there primarily, obviously they have stories and there's tons of other content on, on Snapchat, but folks are using it a lot to like send, you know, quick little snaps, quick little pictures and, and videos to their friends, right? And so I wonder if because of that, when you do see an ad in a story that is prompting somebody to you, you know, start a conversation with an admissions counselor or sign up for an event or schedule a, a quick meeting with your VP of enrollment, whatever it might be. Uh, I wonder if it just makes a little bit more sense because it's like, oh, well, yeah, I'm already communicating one-to-one or one to, you know, a small group of, of my friends already. The idea of swiping up and scheduling, you know, a, a meeting with somebody's uh, Calendly link, it, 
it, it, it's less it's less of a jump than it might be on a platform like TikTok or even like YouTube, where folks are primarily going there to consume a bunch of information and not really there to communicate. What do you think about that? Is that mm -hmm. a fair sort of uh, 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 you know line to draw, or do you think a little bit differently about that? I think it is a really good idea to bring up that distinction of why someone is going to the platform in the first place, which is, I think you nailed it. Snapchat is all about communication. It's, it's the one-to-one -one or one-to-many communication and they're going there. And I think it's also use, useful talking about, you know, the evolution of Snapchat and where it even came from. You know, it was initially created kind of by some frat boys to share pictures that would disappear, Yeah, you know, <laughs> with, with, with their peers. And, you know, you can, and really connect the dots as to why they wanted the pictures to disappear. But that that's what spawns Snapchat. And, you know, that's kind of embedded into the culture and of, of the platform and the technology. And I've even heard and talked to some Gen Zs about how it's used as a drug acquiring platform, how a lot of Gen Zs are buying drugs off Snapchat. So <laughs> it's it, not to say that, you know, for, for those listening, if their son or daughter or, or child has Snapchat, that they're buying drugs. It's not to say that, but but that just gives you an idea of how they're using the platform to begin with. And it's because the messages disappear. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I think it's useful to remember that. So if a university or college designs their ad to almost be in that same kind of tone in that message where it's a it almost seems like a message coming from the university and they're you know reaching out to them directly and sending a snap to the student directly and swipe up to communicate i think that's a that's a really clever move that's a really clever move i haven't seen a lot of our creative done in that tone but that's something certainly to try and i, I could see that being successful yeah yeah it'll be interesting if anyone listening decides to experiment with that let us know how it goes uh yeah. in this same sort of vein matt like what is working and uh, you know what's not on Snapchat? Like of, of the clients that you all work with and or just other data that you have access to, get a little bit specific if you can around like the campaigns that are resonating with folks. Sure. So let's start with what's not working first. So anything that takes too long to get to the point or just purely a static image, it just doesn't, they're just not working very well especially like the static images, there's just no reason why you should be doing a static image. Like, like I said, you can use that snap publisher or you could pay $500 to $1,000 to an agency and they'll be able to take your static ad and turn it into a video ad and they perform way better. So static ads do not work. And then anything that takes too long to get to the point, if it's gotta be engaging within the first, you know, like 30 milliseconds, like it has to be like right away, it has to be engaging because Gen Z, they're so quick to swipe through an ad. But the, the other, not to go off on a huge tangent here, but the, one of the coolest things about this generation is that some of the research that we saw is they are, they, they watch an ad for the shortest period of time, yet they have the highest ad recall hmm. of any other generation. So hmm. they'll, they'll watch on average an ad, I think it was about two seconds, yet their ad recall is like 30 to 40% higher than millennials and then wow. even much higher. Than Gen X. So like they're watching stuff for a very short period of time, but they're remembering it quickly. So in that first, like, you know, nanosecond, you've got to really grab their attention. It has to be something that is educational, informative, or inspiring. Like it, it's got to be, or sorry, educational, entertaining, or inspiring. It's got to be one of those three. And it's got to capture it within that first really quick second. But the other thing is it, it's really the generating or displaying your brand 
in the ad is really crucial. You get it right. Hmm. You don't want to start by having just a big splash logo right away. That's going to get a swipe up immediately because it's like ad boom, gone, you know, see you later. Um, but you want to do it within the first two seconds. So, and, and I know you said you want to get detailed. So we're getting very detailed oh, here. Please, so I, love it. Like, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So you've got to, you've got to have the ad within or your, your brand, your logo within the first two seconds, but not earlier. Because if it's if it's right away, then they're just going to swipe up and get rid of it. So, those are some uh, some what is working and what is what is not working super well. Um, and then the other thing is content that performs really well in ads is ads that don't actually even seem like they're ads. It seems like they're just a normal Snapchat, you know. And you and I have talked about this before, where some of the best ads I've ever seen are ones that they just purely give value to the the viewer or the listener or whatever it might be you know we talked about headspace and Mm -hmm. how some of the best advertising i've ever seen has come from headspace on youtube where they just literally have a lesson like a quick two minute lesson on a meditation concept and it's brilliant you know and i'm I'm huge into meditation and so i will watch the whole ad and i'll I'll even rewatch it because it's about a brilliant concept and and that is the best form of advertising i think which is you're giving value to the end viewer and it just happens to be branded from your university or college, you know, and if it's, if it's actually information that they really want to see, whatever it might be, I think that is the best form of advertising. Absolutely. Yeah. Almost like, uh, like I'm thinking, I'm sure schools run campaigns like this, but almost like a quick little, you know, seven questions you should ask on your next call, you know, campus tour or something like that, or, you know, just a, a almost like a fire, like ask, make, make sure that you get these questions answered uh, during your next campus visit or something like that, um, where it could be, where it could be applicable to any institution, right? But it's value to the user. Uh, or, you know, maybe it's even something a little bit more uh, funny, like uh, questions you're too afraid to ask during your campus visit, but that you should or something like that, where it's like, oh, interesting. OK, what is this? And then it's just a firing off of those five or six questions, whatever it might be. Yeah. Or even or even just being mindful of where they're at in the funnel. You know, mm. if it's more like a if it's a general brand awareness type level, what I would do is just go find your TikTok content or your Snap content your organic content that has performed well, and then just slap your logo on it at the one or two second mark, and then throw that on Snapchat or, and then, you know, you're going to have a really great ad because you already know that it's super engaging and there's, it's already got a lot of traction on TikTok. Yeah. So that would be a good one. And, and that's, we see that all the time too. Organic ads or organic content that performs the best when you put it into your paid media, it's going to perform really well. Yeah, I love that. You know, we get uh, asked a lot about, hey, how do I know whether what sort of like creative should I experiment with? What sort of ad types should I um, should I consider running? And um, basically, because of a cover, you know, conversations that you and I have had over the last several months, I keep telling folks, you know, go to your organic content, don't recreate the wheel, go figure out like what's actually working. And you know, what, what video is actually working better than other videos that you, you know, haven't run any sort of paid uh, advertising around and then start running paid ads around if chances are, if it's, you know, resonated organically, it's also going to resonate with other prospects that you're trying to that you're trying to target. So I love that. It's It's a very simple and somewhat like obvious hack but i i feel like for whatever reason when you get into campaign planning it's not like the most obvious thing uh that comes to mind is like using something that you already have that's performed well that you've just never put any sort of like media budget behind yeah absolutely and then and then even once you get lower into the funnel it's all about just giving giving the students the information they want 
And so once they're at that bottom part of the funnel, you know, they have a pretty good idea of what program they want, all that kind of stuff. So if you're giving them information about program details, about costs, about application dates and deadlines, that kind of stuff, like that's the information they want to see. When we do our surveys, that is that is consistently the information that students want to see from universities and colleges. So if you're putting that into your ads and you're delivering it to the audience that you know wants it, it's going to perform well. It's yeah. absolutely going to perform well. Yeah. What do you guys think about sort of like uh, campaign structure and type? Like, doesn't is it is it better to wait? Like in in the spirit of sort of like a, a multi channel uh, marketing campaign, I guess like where where should Snap fall? Is it better to is it better to start thinking about Snapchat as a hey advertise to students that have you know been in or in and or around your campus over the past sixty days and run sort of like a presumably it's sort of like a campus visit event follow up campaign? Is it better to tackle people earlier on in the funnel like? Where I guess where do Snapchat campaigns fit within a school's larger uh, digital advertising program? If you would have asked me this about a year or two ago, I would have said purely awareness. It's just great for awareness. However, now, like I said, we've we've been experimenting with lead gen and we've been seeing the results, and it can fit at the lower part of the funnel too. So it's it's much like Instagram and Facebook. I'm sure a lot of people are using it for lead gen, you know, where you can actually pull someone through your funnel all the way. Snapchat is now the same. Mm. You can absolutely do the same on Snapchat. And, you know, if you need a case study, like I said, there is the one on the Snapchat website for Lewis University, and it shows how many leads they've got and all that kind of thing. So it can really fit anywhere. If, if you're, if the university or college, if they're looking to drive more uh, applications or they're looking to drive more open house registrations, whatever it might be, it can fit, it can fit into anything, honestly. Yeah. What are you guys mm-hmm. for, for the campaigns that you're helping your clients run? What are some of the, the, you know, the offers? I, I don't know how much you're allowed to say, but like, talk to us a little bit about like, are, are these offers to chat with an admissions counselor? Is it to download a, uh, an ebook? Is it to watch a video on a page? Like what are, what are sort of the lead gen offers that you guys are, are helping your clients run? Yeah, generally it's, it's to, you know, do a, do a form fill and sign up for some kind of, we, we see a lot of success with event advertising. So if it's sign up for this digital open house, yeah, those are those we've seen a lot of success with or talk to an admissions counselor, lots of success with those as well. Or even once like once they're lower on the, the uh, funnel, you know, fill out your application or accept your offer for enrollment, all those types of things the, those will be successful with Snapchat lead gen. For folks that are not, familiar with snapchat um uh advertising options like how similar i think most people listening are probably somewhat similar with sort of the uh advertising selects that you can um uh decide to sort of run on facebook um but they might be less familiar with sort of the targeting options that are available on snapchat so what are some of those targeting options and do they do any of them differ from what you're allowed to sort of target on Facebook? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we were just talking about this yesterday. I believe on Snapchat and shoot, I hope I'm not crossing my wires here, but I believe on Snapchat, you can target under 18 year olds, which is why lead gen is quite good. Whereas on the other platforms you can't. And so that's why it is a great tool, but I know that the, targeting ability on Snapchat is very similar to that of Instagram and Facebook. You can get as granular and detailed. 
which is also why it's advantageous as opposed to, you know, one of the newer platforms like TikTok. You can't get that granular yet. There's no lead gen on TikTok yet. So that's why Snapchat is hugely advantageous to use right now. And also because the CPM, I don't know if we talked, I can't remember if we talked about this, yet, but the Snap, the Snapchat CPM and cost and the click-through rate and the cost of clicks and everything, it's super low compared to Instagram and Facebook. We're not entirely sure why. It, it might be because, I don't know, there's just such a huge population on there and not as many advertisers because they're still on Instagram. I don't know. But the costs are also tremendous. Yeah. So you know, you've got you've got similar targeting capability to Instagram and Facebook. You can do lead gen, which you can't do on TikTok. Like there's a lot of reasons why you should be on Snapchat. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's like, yeah, your, your audience is there. Uh, more of them are there than they are on Facebook. It's cheaper to actually get in front of that audience. And the conversion rates are the same, if not higher. And like that's it, it really just seems like a no brainer. Right. It's like I think the one yeah. the one friction point, And I think, uh, again, I don't have any data to really support this, but my gut, Zach's gut says that uh, the reason we don't see more higher education marketers on Snapchat um, is simply because they aren't on it enough and they don't understand it enough. And therefore, the idea of creating creative, the idea of creating a campaign that will work is just is scarier than it is on Facebook or, or Instagram, which are just more familiar platforms, right? It's almost like one of the things that I think we all need to keep in mind, especially because at the end of the day, most of us are trying to get in front of, you know, 15, 16, 17 year olds, right? And so chances are, if you and all of your friends are playing uh, in a particular social sphere like Instagram, chances are right these these youth aren't like they they've either moved on or they've they've never really got on board but it, it, i think about like how you know my my parents right um we had finally got them on facebook and then you know just last year now they're on instagram but now you know my grandma who's just got on facebook about a few years ago and loves facebook is just starting to ask questions about whether or not she should get it uh, an instagram and if grandma gets on instagram like you better bet my you know younger siblings um are no longer there right or are graduating and moving on to something else so it's just funny i i think how like I do believe, unfortunately, that a fair amount of the reason why only what, like you said, like 9% of higher ed marketers are advertising on Snapchat is simply because they don't understand the platform enough. Um, and I hope it's not, I hope it's not really that, but I, I, I bet more often than not, that's at least a contributing factor to the reason why we don't see more spend on that pl on the platform. I think it is all about familiarity. Absolutely. And that's why we always preach if you're you just want to start get started on it just start small you know it's fire bullets first and then cannonballs so if if a win for your institution looks like you just run a snap ad and it's with one of these animated static ads that's a win you know pat yourself on the back because you've got to you've you really need to be exploring these new platforms and diversifying because Gen Z are early adopters. They're the first ones to jump on these new platforms. And if you're not firing these, these bullets first, that can then be fired, followed up with cannonballs. 
how are you going to know where to invest all the money, you know, in a year or two when there's way more movement happening? Yeah. You know, you're, you're going to get caught with pie on your face. So it's, it's really about experimenting with these platforms as they come up and really adopt. I think it's about adopting that mindset and that culture within the marketing division of test, 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 and being okay when things fail, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, but, but you can have those, you can have those little tests and those little experiments where if they fail, it's not a huge deal. You know, you run, you run a paid ad campaign with Snapchat that costs a thousand bucks and it falls flat on its face. Who cares? You know, it's, it's more about the learning at this point than it is about actually having a success and a win. And, and if there's, you know, VPs or, or presidents listening to this, then it's just giving, giving your team and your marketing team enough rope where they can run with and make mistakes and learn and try. And it's more about the learning than it is about the, than it is about the numbers on these new platforms. Yeah. And it's almost like, you know, folks really need to, I don't know if it's like the 80, 20 rule that folks should adopt or, or something similar where, you know, uh, 20% of your budget in any given year should be spent trying new things in new places, right? Like at, at a minimum, like you, you really need to allow your team the flexibility and the time to understand a new environment. Yeah. And you know, maybe it'll be like a vine situation where it kind of crashes and burns, right. Or like yik yak where, and nothing, you know, really, really comes from it. But the, the schools that heavily invest or empower their teams to spend actual time and money, and maybe that is 20%, you got to figure out what works best for you all investing in these new channels and platforms. When they do find the next channel that does take off, you're going to be so far ahead of the game, right? And that your reach is going to be so much greater than that of other schools that are like slower to adopt um, that that investment at the end of the day is definitely going to pay off or should pay off sort of like that initial 20% investment of time and money and resources initially. So I think that like giving, making sure that folks have both time and money to experiment with is crucial because things are just changing so freaking fast. It's impossible to stay, uh, stay up with. And you really just can't afford to wait until you can vet everything and strategically think through like, what is the 12 month strategy for our institution on Snapchat? Like nobody has the time to do that. And by the time you get that, you know, solidified and then approved by the powers that be it's probably relevant the thing that you were banking your whole entire campaign on is like no longer available right like or whatever it might be and so i do think like a big takeaway from what you're saying is how do we give how do we empower teams to have time and money to experiment and entrust them to decide where and when to spend that time and money i think that's a really good point really really good point and it also it reminds me of a concept in investing which is the the alpha or the the difference in the return of over the index it's the same kind of thing like where there's where there is certainty there is no return you know it's like the american treasury bond the reason why <laughs> the return is like 2% it's because it's a very certain thing the, the probability of getting that t- that your money back is very high where the biggest returns are it's where the uncertainty is and so it's just dealing it's just being comfortable with that uncertainty but if you know, in these new platforms like TikTok, for example, there is way less uncertainty now. Like it's, it's pretty certain that this is going to be a platform that's going to be popular amongst Gen Z for a long time to come. And therefore the opportunity 
to get on there and really, you know, explode, it's, it's lowering by the day. Yeah. In early days of TikTok, if you were on there and you're a content creator, there was very few content creators, right? There was, there was way more demand and supply. And so if you go on there and you start creating content, you have the opportunity to blow up. Whereas now there's more and more people that are creating content on TikTok. And so that the certainty is increasing and the opportunity is decreasing. So that's why, you know, the biggest returns are in the places where there's the most uncertainty. Yeah. I got a couple of final questions for you around uh, Snapchat, Matt. Um, first is like, can you just give us, I, I know this probably uh, varies dramatically, but in terms of like uh, average campaign spend that folks are using um, or that folks are allocating rather to their Snapchat campaigns, can you just give us like a ballpark? So if, if listeners are like, okay, yes, I, I want to get started. I, I want to launch my first campaign and test this out. Like does, can a thousand dollars get you anything? Do you need a minimum spend of 10 K? Like give us some sort of threshold for how to think about, uh, allocating budget towards Snapchat campaigns. It really all depends on the purpose on what the outcome, the client is looking to get out of it. Are they looking to just get some learning out of it, you know, get a feel for the platform, that kind of a thing and really see how it's going to work for them or if it's going to work. I wouldn't really do anything for less than, you know, $5,000, maybe $2,000, but you know, you've got to spend enough on it where you can tweak it and, yeah. and start getting some numbers and some results and doing it for a long enough period of time. If you're going to spend like 500 bucks in a week, you're just not going to be able to get enough data to know how well it's working or, or if it's working. You yeah. know what I mean? So you've got to be able to spend enough where you can actually do some tweaking and get some results. So what that looks like for your institution, I don't know, two to $5,000, maybe, you know, that would be a reasonable number. And then we see spends all the way up into the six figures on Snapchat. So it can go up the other way too. Good, good. I love that. Um, And I think what's encouraging there is like, you can get started, like, hopefully you've got, uh, you know, $5,000 that you can allocate and invest in and, you know, experiment uh, on this new channel. And if you don't like, um, you know, start with 2k do do what you can but I, I like that I like the idea that it's not like you need to have you know six figures right off the bat to be able to allocate to a campaign like this um, which is really encouraging and, and should be encouraging for, for for our listeners last question for you Matt is for folks that want to go uh, get some inspiration uh, or are looking for uh, creative uh, ideas for how to up there maybe it's even just their organic snapchat game like do you have any sort of accounts that you'd recommend people go and follow to learn how to sort of, you know, play in this, in this pond? Yeah. Some of the ones that do some interesting and creative things are you Michigan. They've done some interesting things. And then I think university of Florida, they do some pretty cool stuff too. I would recommend checking out those two. Great. Love it. Yeah. I feel like, uh, uh, UMich and uh, University of Florida are both always come up as like great examples of just folks that are are nailing their social game. So yeah, if you uh, want some inspiration, go check out those accounts. Um, but Matt, this has been super fun as always. Uh, love picking your brain and hearing about what you're thinking on. And um, thanks for sharing some insight with us. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. All right. Chat soon. And that's a wrap of part one, folks. Now you will meet Callie Goodwin from Columbia International University. 
A quick plug for Callie before we roll our conversation. She's an incredible social strategist and she's just an awesome content creator. So if you aren't already following her on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram, you should be. Uh, and to make it easy to change that reality, if you are not already following her, we've linked her handles below in the show notes. All right, folks, enjoy my conversation with Callie. So Callie, age-old question we get asked a lot from folks who are just starting out on Snapchat or even folks that have like had a Snapchat for a while, but they are either lost a social media manager that was running Snapchat for them and or they're really looking to up their game. Maybe they're going to start putting some actual ad budget behind it for the very first time. And one of the big questions that we get asked is, how do I even begin to start thinking about Snapchat as a platform for student recruitment? Like where might my strategy what framework might I implement to even understand, begin to understand what I can expect from this platform? So what's a good framework for how schools should be using Snapchat for student recruitment? Absolutely. So one of the things that I've realized is that social media platforms, whether it be Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook, all of this is borrowed space. Hmm. And we also have, um, we're, we don't have a guaranteed spot there. And so we need to treat that like what it is and not build the entire, um, the entire castle on it, but use it as part of our, uh, strategy as a whole. Um, one of the other things is that we are trying to fit ourselves into a place that was not meant for us, hmm. um, as brands and as, um, institutions, social media is not built to meet our needs. We're trying to kind of fit ourselves in there and to promote it and use these platforms that are really meant to be social, be social between people, um, not as a marketing platform. And so I always tell people like, make sure you remember that because at the core of it, we have to remember that we are um, not promised this space. So one of the things that I see a lot of people that um, kind of get it wrong is that they like to take their billboards or they like to take their social ads and just put it in Snapchat or Instagram or whatever the different platforms is. And that's not always going to work because it's not meant for that space. Snapchat is uh, formatted differently than an Instagram post. Um, or a Twitter post or a Facebook post, like the sizing is different, the format's different. And if you just take your billboard ad and shrink it a little bit and still make it like a rectangle or a square, it's not going to fit in the place. And people are very quick to notice that hmm. they know that you didn't put in the effort to um, adjust your information to meet the place that you're promoting it. So um, I think starting with your framework is making sure that you build something different and specific and not just think, oh, let's just cross post everything because it's, that's not going to work. Oh, so much gold there. Um, and I love what you, I love how you started by talking about remembering that this is borrowed space. And I think that that is, that's something that's so easy to forget, right. And not, and not think much about, but like, you don't really, I mean, you, you might have the login credentials for your university's Instagram page, your snap page, right? Your snap profile, but like you don't actually own it in the same way that you might own your website CMS, right? Uh, or other brand assets that are associated with your, your university domain. 
And I think that that's uh, an interesting insight that not a lot of people talk much about in, in higher ed. Like there's not a lot of content out there. There's not a lot of like discussion around sort of like, okay, if these are borrowed spaces, uh, how do we do a better job at taking that attention and converting it into uh, spaces that we do own? Um, or at least own more of. So super interesting insight there. The second thing uh, I really liked about what you said is just around not taking, being cautious with sort of like cross-channel promotions. And I think that that's, again, in the spirit of not having a lot of time, most teams being like under-resourced, that is like the temptation, right? It's like, oh God, well, I just did this thing on Instagram. I understand Snap's different, but like I don't have the time to really think about a video ad here. I'm just gonna do this and cross my fingers and pray that it works, right? Um, so I guess a follow-up question to you is, what is what are your thoughts? Like if, if schools are serious about developing strategies for social that are platform specific, like what does that look like? Or like should, should a school that isn't prepared to invest seriously in platform specific strategies just sort of like avoid the platform altogether? Or what's your opinion on I guess, whether or not schools should have a presence on every platform or only have a presence on the platforms that they're actually going to fund uh, in order to arrive at any sort of like meaningful social success? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it really depends on a lot of um, key pieces of information. One, how big is your team? You can't expect one person to know all the ins and outs of every single platform. They're all vastly different. Um, they all require different types of content, different audiences, different sized content. Some of them are the vertical aspect. Some of them are square. Some of them are in the middle. Um, and requiring one person, especially for a large institution, to be able to manage all of that is a really unrealistic expectation. Uh, with smaller schools, I mean, it's still need to be careful um, on how maxed out your social media person is and like what they're managing. Um, but if your social media person is not prepared to be on that platform, either doesn't know how it works or um, is just too stretched thin to do it, like you shouldn't be doing it. Hmm. If you can't put the time and the resources into it, um, it's you're really just going to hurt yourself. You're going to, you're not going to be fully there. Um, and it's not going to make your brand look great yeah. just because you're there, but you're not mentally there, like putting in the, the effort, like what's the point. Um, another thing is you have to determine is your audience there? What, who are you trying to reach? Um, why are you trying to reach them? And then do you have the institutional resources to make that content different? So if you're looking, if your school is looking to enroll more online students, more non-traditional student age, like, and that's your school focus, like you're not going to immediately go to Snapchat to reach students 13 to 18. Sure. Like that's not the place you need to be investing your time in and your resources in. And so, um, I think taking a look at where your institution is, what the goals are, and what you have the capacity to manage is extremely important before you start 
to go down any route. So mm. the typical ones that people check or that the go-tos are, are Facebook and Instagram. Um, and then I think you kind of follow up next to that is uh, LinkedIn and Twitter and then kind of Snapchat on the back end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah. That's it for that we, yeah, yeah, we we can cut that out. Did your lights just go off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hold on a second. <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> so we have these um lovely lights that are motion activated. Nice. And I actually work with my lights off 90% of the time. And so um, it happens to do that every time I'm on a, an important call. Of course. Of course. Yeah. As, as it should. Yeah. Right. Uh, no worries. <laughs> um, well, we can just cut that part out. So following up, w- one of the questions I've been toying around um, as I talk with folks from all over sort of like the higher ed marketing spectrum is like, when it comes to hiring, right, folks to run social at an institution or help manage it in some way, shape or form, I do think like people have their areas of expertise, right? You've got people that are really good at one platform over another, people that understand sort of like the culture of a platform uh, stronger in one arena than than the other. And so from your perspective, like, like does are institutions sort of investing in social in the way that like they need to be? Like, do you, is it, I, should you ideally go and find somebody for instance, it's like really, really, really good at Snapchat and then be like, Hey, you're really, really good at Snapchat. Callie, I want to bring you onto our team to manage Snapchat for our institution. Or like how do folks, how should folks think about sort of hiring people to do social well? I think it really depends on the school. So my background is working in small schools, uh, typically less than uh, 2,000 students. And both schools that I've worked at have one social media person. Um, my previous school, I was all of marketing and communications. So wow. not only was I managing like emails and website and other communication pieces, I was also um, managing all of our social media. And I developed a student team that really helped with that um, because students can tell our story better than we can. We can tell it from the like professional point of view, but students can tell it from their point of view and from the experience. And that is going to resonate with people that are looking to come there. Um, they want to know what is the school really like, because we can put out uh, beautiful stock photos or professionally taken photos on this a gorgeous summer day with a picnic and stuff on the green. But if that's not what actually happens there and that's not the real experience, then we are selling um, a false sense of what campus life is like. And they're going to get there and they're going to realize all of that was pretty and perfect, but that wasn't the real experience. And they're more likely to transfer Hmm. because they've already lost trust in the institution because they sold them on something that wasn't, real. Hmm. And we are seeing this shift in social media where um, the accounts are going to more of a um, real unfiltered perspective. That's one of those things with Snapchat, Instagram stories, TikTok. It's more of that unfiltered real life moment um, content versus the perfectly curated image 
that's been edited with the perfect caption. It's that real life um, in the moment content. And I guess one of our biggest strengths has been able to capturing on that, like capturing that from our students' perspective by takeovers, um, different moments where we just reshare what our students are sharing because they are living it, they are experiencing it. And the best thing we can do is to amplify that and those positive experiences and use that to show what we really offer. And on that point, how do you think schools should be sourcing content for Snapchat, right? So is it, you gave a great example here of in soliciting sort of like a team of students to do things like takeovers to help sort of run these accounts or at least influence the content strategy behind these accounts. But like, how, how else should schools be thinking about sourcing good quality content that is going to perform well on Snapchat? And by good quality content, I don't necessarily mean like highly produced, but just content that is going to resonate with the audience and really the audience expectations of the platform. I think that the key, the most obvious key is to tap into your admissions office They usually have a group of student ambassadors that they have vetted already that are passionate about the school because they're already working with admissions. They know the lingo, they know the goal, they know the vision, but they're also living the experience. And so I have never been steered wrong by going to admissions and asking for help from their students because they're already trained. They already know um, what they're sharing, they know the campus, they know the activities, and they're more likely to be able to really connect with future students um, because it is a student-to-student conversation, Hmm. future student to current student. And so we really tap into them for our takeovers, um, featuring them at different admissions events. And what's been really cool is we did a takeover recently with an admissions ambassador, and we had some future students that are looking at our school asking them questions about the dorms and asking them about food and um, classes and housing and campus life and seeing those DMs come in and seeing these admissions student workers like respond back to them and tell them, not lying to them, telling them the true um, experience, but there's kind of that like slightly polished answer to it. They can, they're telling it because they know how important it is uh, to help recruit students, but they also are living it. And so they're not, they're not sharing false information. I can go and I can tell you anything you want to know about the dorms, but I've never lived there. So I can't, I can't explain what life is like in the dorms. Um, I can just tell you that we have two res halls with three floors and X amount of rooms, but, um, there's something special about it coming from a student and they're more likely future students are more likely to listen to current students. They yeah. value that um, opinion. So so in your opinion, as you are working in this space, like how, how do you recommend, even if like this isn't true in your particular context because of staffing reasons or whatever, or just the size of the institution, like how should hired marketers approach Snapchat as different from other social platforms? Like any just like do's or don'ts when it comes to creating content for Snapchat, sharing content for Snapchat, any sort of general framework you'd recommend from a strategy standpoint of like, if you're not doing this, you should be. And if you are doing this, maybe you shouldn't be. 
I think one of the biggest pieces of content that you can do on Snapchat specifically um, are different takeovers with students, but maybe not even just like a takeover. Maybe you identify a student worker that that is their space. They represent the institution. Um, they talk about stuff that's happening on the daily. They're talk, They're going to events. They're showing their class life. Um, but they kind of own that platform because as much as I want to say that I can go into Snapchat and talk about the school, like I have a different lens. I have a different perspective that is very different from a student that's living life on campus. And if you can find that trusted student that is interested in Snapchat, um, that is familiar with all the different features that it offers, like I feel like social media changes so quickly that if you haven't been on Snapchat in a month or two, like you're already behind. Yeah. yeah, So if you used it a couple of years ago or you use it like just to communicate with friends every once in a while, like you're already behind and you're not going to be able to take full advantage. And so one of the things that I have seen other institutions do, um, Youngstown State did a really good job of this, is that they have student employees that um, have like different accounts that they manage. So um, some of them have their own like YSU Twitter account. Some of them have like YSU Instagram accounts and they share all the things about their life all the time. It's not just a one day takeover. They represent the school all the time um, through these channels and they get to share about their internships and about the events they go to. And it's really cool to see how that content from those uh, few students accounts get fed into the main account. And it kind of like amplify, amplifies their student voices. Oh, I love that. That's such a good example. Um, and uh, the last question for you here on Snapchat is how should institutional brand play into sort of like the tone and style of content on Snapchat? I know that there's like this fear, uh, especially amongst, you know, leaders of, Hey, with some of these platforms, um, are they too trendy? Is the con is the expectation that, you know, if, if we start sharing too many quote unquote sort of authentic pieces, will we look bad? We don't want to look cheap, but we don't want to look too stuffy either. Like, I guess how much Liberty should these social media managers, whether it's a you know, professional like yourself, whether it's a student sort of running the account, how much liberty should they have and be able to take with the kind of content that they produce? And what relationship should that have to the school's brand overall? That's a great question. There's a few ways that I look at this. One, it really depends on your school. How is your, what is the atmosphere and where's the freedom in your office? Um, if, you have the freedom to be real on these platforms, like use that to your advantage. Um, another rule that I have when it comes to how much to share, what not to share, is this appropriate? Is if you're not willing to explain it to the president, the board chair, or your grandmother, don't post it. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's amazing. Those are my golden rules. <laughs> Um, because I have to think, like, I think about stuff and I'm like, if I'm not ready to have to explain this, whether good or bad, um, I think one of the funny examples this past week, 
is if I'm not sure if you're familiar with Noodle the Pug and Bones Day and No Bones Day, but um, we referenced that and somebody in leadership asked me, what is a Bones Day? What is a No Bones Day? And I had to explain that it was, how are we feeling today based on this pug off of TikTok? Like that wasn't a bad example, but it's real interesting when you get pulled into a meeting and have to explain what that, what that is. Means. Yeah. Um, but it resonated with such a large audience because it was trending. And that's yeah. one of those things like, that's not necessarily like professional, like, but it, it connected us with a whole group of people that had originally seen us as kind of stuffy and, um, very orderly if that makes sense yeah. and very professional. And this gave us a chance to kind of like break through that wall of like academic and institution and connect with people on a more fun level. And I don't think there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. If you have the freedom to do it, take advantage of it. There's so many schools that don't have that ability um, that long for it. And platforms like Snapchat are those unfiltered, unrefined, unrefined moments and it's not necessarily a place for that polished content. Like you have to be real if you want to connect with people, especially students. They can see through the fakeness. So wonderful, love that, um, and love that example as well. Um, I want to transition and talk about Instagram. So, what's a good framework for how schools should be using Instagram for student recruitment? What? How do you think about this, Kelly? And like, what do you think are good recommendations for folks that, again, are probably on Instagram, but aren't entirely sure what expectation, if any, they should have for the platform to play a role in student recruitment? So I think there's kind of a two parts of Instagram that you don't necessarily get with Snapchat. Um, for Instagram, you've got Instagram stories and you've got Instagram feed posts which for us are dramatically different. Um, what goes on the feed stays on the feed. We don't necessarily put one-time events there. We put evergreen content, stories, anything that um, if you see it in three months, six months, it's still going to be relevant mm. to a degree, whether it's a story, but like if there's an event this weekend, like we're not going to put that on our Instagram feed because it's going to expire. It's, it has an end date. And it, it doesn't need to live there. So we treat our feed um, a little bit more. Um, we cultivate that a little bit differently because we want that when people scroll through to be able to see stuff that's relevant, um, that is evergreen. For our Instagram stories, that's a whole different uh, ball game for us. That's a lot more freeing. It only lasts 24 hours. So we reshare a lot of people's content uh, different student groups, different people. If they tag us, we use a lot of our own gifts that we've created to help to kind of brand our material, but also give other people the chance to share hmm. and use that. That's a, um, it's one of those hidden like little nuggets that I think does not get used enough. Our Giphy account was launched about three months ago we're getting close to hitting a million views. Wow. We're a small school of less than 2000 students. Um, and it's been incredible to watch the amount of people who see that, take it and use it um, on their stories, which further helps to get our brand name out there farther than our circle could possibly reach. 
Um, there's so many features in Instagram stories that they offer that you can really build just about anything with. Um, there are interactive polls, there are quizzes. You can have people screenshot your story and share it um, using like a quiz or fill in the get, fill in the picture with different uh, gifts to explain your mood. You can do bingo. There's just so many options that make it more interactive and fun. And uh, you treat that very different than an Instagram feed post. Yeah, yeah. I love that distinction. And I think that um, I haven't heard... Uh, I haven't heard anyone quite articulate the difference between like evergreen content on the feed, more sort of daily event driven content, content that with an expiration date, um, it should be published via story. And I, I like that very simple sort of like clear line of demarcation. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, and on the story front, you know, one of the things that we are always asking folks is like, there's so many different ways to think about Instagram stories, right? Like there are some schools that are, that use it sort of like a billboard, like a daily billboard, right? Like here's what's happening today. Here's what you should be aware of uh, in the next 24 hours. Here's a cool picture of a dog that's on campus today, right? Like, and everything in between. It, it, it's it's sort of like an hour by hour sort of like play on like, hey, here's here's what is happening right now, right? And, that, and that's certainly like one way to think about stories and arguably like the way that Instagram intended stories to be used since it was sort of like a, you know, rip off of Snapchat. Um, but another way of thinking about stories is like an, a vehicle through which to actually tell uh, an interesting narrative, right? Like a, a, a narrative that's a little bit more thematic in nature. So I'm, I'm curious, like, when you guys think about Instagram stories, um, how often, if at all, are you thinking about sort of like, whether the story is actually telling a story or is really a little bit more just like billboardy. And I, I can imagine that there are lots of pros and cons to like both approach. It's probably not an either or, it's probably like a both and, but like, I guess, how do you guys think about the format of the content that you then publish on Instagram stories? Um. Our Instagram stories are usually a good mix of content that we're putting out there and content we're resharing. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of events on campus, just with the way that our campus is structured and our roles as the social media manager, like I can't get to everything. Sure. And our student government does a great job of sharing what is happening um, on campus day by day in different activities. And so we reshare a lot of their content. We also design a lot of posts if it's a specific event. If we had a um, we had a naming event for a building a few weeks ago, and we took photos from that event and designed these beautiful Instagram stories, that way we could save them to a highlight. Um, but a lot of our Instagram stories are in the moment. What's happening on campus? Yeah. What are we doing? Oh, look at this picture of this beautiful fall tree. Um, and we really try to just connect with people through that. That's one of those things. It is more of that unfiltered feel that you get through Snapchat. Um, because it, I mean, it is like a rip off of Snapchat. Um, but it really is one of those things we don't put as much thought into how is this like perfectly packaged versus our feed posts, because we want those to kind of live on and, um, be more of an archive of mm. what's happened in our school versus 
our stories are in the moment right here and right now. Come join us at this spot. Hey, here's a scavenger hunt at this spot. Um, information like that. Yeah. They're treat them very differently. Um, but our, our stories are more of our emphasis Yep. Uh, because it is that like true day-to-day activities versus, um, our evergreen content. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, if you want to get a look at what happens at your school over the course of a year, check out the feed, right? Like, and, and that's where you get insight into, okay, this is what fall looks like. Oh, this is what, you know, this is how cold it gets in the winter. Like, oh, there's no snow capped buildings. Okay. Like it doesn't get that cold here. Right. Or, um, you know, this is what spring looks like on campus. Um, and you know, here's a football game and here's a soccer game. If you want sort of like a bet, a good understanding of like all the various happenings over the course of an academic year, you can go to the feed for that. Whereas if you want to look at what is going on right now in this particular moment, like that's what stories are, are for. Like I want to peer into the lives of your students as they are right now. Um, that's where, that's where stories come in. And I like that, that sort of like line of demarcation again, just between how you think about the kind of content and like really sort of like what the goal of, you know, the content is. And, and therefore, like, I do think like when it does come to posting, um, you should really be intentional about like, what is this post? Cause it, it should mean a lot. Like if it's going to stay there forever, it really should mean a lot. And you know, the caption, uh, the story that you're trying to communicate beyond the image is, is all the more important because it's supposed to live on in perpetuity. Yeah. I once had to explain to my mom, uh, she didn't understand Instagram at all. Um, she also uses the term hash tweet. So that just tells <laughs> me enough, enough about her social media knowledge. But um, I was trying to explain to her the difference between the feed and the story. And I told her, I was like, mom, it's like your photo app on your phone. The, the favorites folder where you go and you heart all your favorite images, mm. that's your feed, but your story is everything else. Mm. It's a hodgepodge of um, campus life and takeovers and reshared content or random pictures here or there. But like your, your highlight reel, your favorites folder is what lives on your feed. It's more curated. It's more what you want the world to see um, forever and ever and ever. But your story is, hey, what's happening here now today in real life on our campus um, from many different perspectives? Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's a that's a really good exercise and a way of thinking about it. A um, couple of final questions for you on Instagram. Number one is just about like when you think about accounts that are just crushing it uh, in higher ed uh, or even outside of higher ed, like what Instagram accounts do you follow for inspiration for new ideas who's sort of at like you know the bleeding edge the cutting edge of like what's new and next in terms of how to do instagram really well oh okay i love this um there's a couple of schools that i follow that i just i think they're killing it um university of michigan there if you scroll through their instagram feed first off it's gorgeous you can see the different thematic um almost like moods they go through. Sometimes everything's in the same color palette. Sometimes they have the same like little doodles through like a whole series of posts. Sometimes it's a lot of people. Sometimes it's a lot of campus imagery. Their feed is just gorgeous. Um, BYU is always killing it on their Instagram stories. Like hands down, one of my favorite accounts to follow for that. Mm. And then I really love 
what the University of Florida is doing on both the Giphy side, the TikTok side, and Instagram Reels. They are crushing it there. Um, they've been kind of paving the way, especially in the Giphy world and in TikTok. Like they've been doing phenomenal work. So those are my top three that come to mind. Youngstown State's also doing a fantastic job. Um, the University of South Carolina does a good job. Um, but those are probably the top, probably my top list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those are, those are all great examples. I'm going to go, I, I follow, uh, UF, but I don't follow anyone else. So I need to go, uh, follow them and, um, add them to my feed. Um, last question here is when you think about the relationship between institutional brand and Instagram, like, is it, is it important to take like a specific tone, a particular, like just determine sort of a particular style of like, this is how we're going to present content on Instagram. Like we're going to take a quippy approach. We're going to take a little bit more of like a, uh, you know, elevated approach to how we do social here. Like we want to be known as, you know, the fun school. We, I'm thinking about sort of like, you know, Wendy's, uh, Wendy's on, on Twitter, right? Like no one would expect a fast food brand to be so sarcastic, so funny, so quippy. And yet they are right. Like they're one of most people's favorite accounts to follow. And it's just so ridiculously unexpected. It doesn't really fit with like their brand. Uh, at least I feel like you could make a strong case as to why it doesn't. Um, but like when you think about the relationship between how intentional schools should be with the brand that they end up developing on social platforms and for the purposes of this conversation, specifically Instagram, like what should schools do? How should they think about this? Like, do we need, do they need sort of like a style guide, like a brand guide specifically for how they choose to, you know, create content and share content on Instagram? I think that that question really comes down to what is your campus tone? Hmm. What? you want your social platforms to represent who you are as a school. And so if your school is one that can be fun and you, you have a fun campus, you have a fun atmosphere, the morale is not down that like you can convey that through social. I think there's also um, been a shift in academic social, higher ed social over the last few years of, I know that when I started at my previous institution, everything was articles. Everything was very, very academic. Yeah. And we shifted that over the course of two years to more of a fun brand, a more personable brand. And people responded really well to that. It became more of a oh, we can connect with our school as alums or as students because they're acting more like more human. Hmm. Um, and so we can have that human connection, even though it is an institution versus a student. Um, I think people can resonate and connect more when they feel like they're talking with a person versus an institution. Um, institution, um, academics is very structured, very, um, sometimes dry. And if your social platform is looking like that and has that feel, it's hard to connect with that, mm. um, on a social level and look, going back to social media, 
like we are not um, guaranteed space there. So we need to do what we can to make sure we're fitting in there. Um, I used a book for a marketing class that I taught a few years ago. It's called Likeable Social Media. And one of the first examples that they talk about is that social media in general is kind of like a dinner party and everybody's going in there and everybody's sharing their life updates and what's going on. And then sometimes you have that one person who comes in and all he wants to do is sales pitch his business. And you don't want to talk with them because all he wants to do is sell his business. Like Mm. he only wants to promote himself. And if that's all that that person is giving out, you're going to back away and you're going to go follow some other people because, and talk to them because you don't want to constantly be blasted in a space that's meant to be social. Mm. And so I have to constantly remind myself, like, while I know it is important to make sure we are meeting our recruitment goals and making sure that we're working with admissions and advancement, ultimately we are still in a very social space. And so we can get creative with how we get those messages out um, by telling stories Mm. and by finding those little nuggets in our campus. But ultimately if we're just promoting ourselves, being a billboard, being that sales guy, nobody's going to want to interact with us and they're going to go find somewhere else to hang out with. So um, it's a little different than what you asked, but it definitely comes back to how do, how do brands play? You've got to figure out how to be social and salesy together. You got to marry those together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, some of the, I feel like the most successful people, the, the best salespeople are the ones that don't sell, right? Like are don't, aren't directly. So they provide tons and tons and tons of value. And then eventually when you are ready, like you know who they are. Like I, I think of, I don't know how familiar you are with Rand Fishkin, um, who was the founder and CEO of Moz, the SEO company. Now he started a new company called SparkToro. And to me, he's sort of like the epitome of this, right? Like he's just done such a great job over the course of his career at creating tons and tons and tons and tons of valuable content to help people better understand how Google ranks content. And, you know, uh, I've bought his software product and, you know, the day that I, after years and years and years of right, like following him, reading his stuff, uh, engaging with him a little bit on social. And, you know, at some point, like when I do want, if I ever were to want SEO consulting services, like he's who I would go to. He's who I'd ask uh, to spin up a course or spin up a product. Right. And that's only because he, at that point, you know, will have, basically taught me how to do SEO for 10 years. Like that, that, that's crazy. So, I mean, to, to, to what you're saying too, I do think that like, it's all about knowing yourself, knowing what your brand stands for, deciding to sort of like make sure that that translates to what you're doing on social, but translates in a way that like people at the dinner party aren't going to be looking at their phones, looking at each other, wondering when the hell this guy's going to shut up because, you know, it's time to talk about something else. Um, or it's time to, you know, ask somebody else a question. So I love that example. And I think that that speaks volumes. Any, my, my last question for you here, uh, is, is just around any like tips or tricks or just random, like, Oh, by the way, I experimented with this the other day and it performed really well or any like Instagram quick, like little hacks that you'd want to share before we sign off. Oh, Instagram hacks. Let's see. Um, I, I keep coming back to gifts. I think that those are such an underrated 
part of social, hmm. um, specifically in Instagram, Instagram stories, because you can, you, when you create those, you can make stickers that can be yep. put on your Instagram stories. They're an easy way to brand your story. You can reshare somebody else's stuff and stick a little gif on there. Um, but they are pretty good ways to add a little bit of spice to it, hmm. but still keep it on brand. They're not difficult to make. Um, they have large reach, especially if you can get other people to start using them. So we launched our account right account right before move-in. And we went from just launching the account to over 600,000 views in the span of a month, maybe. Wow. Because move-in came, we launched it, told people, hey, as you're moving in, share your photos, use our CIU gifts, and people would post them. And then now their friends, every time they post one, their friends are now seeing our college's name hmm. um, on their stories. And that's one of those brand recognition things and really helps people to, when they see our logo later, they'll be like, oh, we saw that on social. It, it helps to connect in different areas. Um, I think there's a lot of potential on reels, um, personally. And for my small business, TikTok has been my realm. Um, but if you're on TikTok, you can reshare some of those to reels, uh, with the shift in the way that Instagram is treating reels. I think that's a place people need to be prepped to go short form video, um, keeping it under 10 seconds if possible. And um, there's a lot of room for that. TikTok has been, obviously has blown up over the last year and a half and I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. And there's space for higher ed if you do it right. Um, forget the salesy pitches and making it about what's happening on your campus, telling stories and just being real. Yeah. Ooh, I love it. I love it. Oh gosh, so much, uh, so much here, uh, Callie. I really, really appreciate your time and your uh, dropping of knowledge. Um, this has been uh, wonderfully helpful, and I'm sure our audience uh, appreciates your insight. So, thank you, thank you for your time. Thanks for all you, that you're doing in the space. Um, if folks want more of Callie's insights, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you or follow you? We can drop social handles and email addresses in the show notes if you're comfortable with that. But uh, where, where should people find you? Um, probably the best place is on Twitter. Um, it's just Callie Goodwin altogether. Um, that's one of my favorite places to chat with people. And um, you can find me pretty much anywhere at Callie Goodwin. But Great, great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Callie. Thank you.